You've got the music. You've got the desire. You've got the passion. We've got the knowledge. The musicpreneur.com podcast starts now. Well, James, I have been trying to get myself on my feet with this uh, a rhythm of podcasting. <laughs> I have this excellent, amazing opportunity to tap okay. into your experience and expertise and get going and not have to build this in the ground up. And I appreciate that a lot. So I've been uh, a big fan of podcasts for years, and I've been a fan of your podcast. And then, of course, I learned about you through Jason Heath and his mm-hmm. podcast, which I love. So we're going to get going in the future with um, tag teaming, partnering, working together under your um, amazing, uh, already established uh, podcast uh, with great history of great podcasts. Man, I think you're setting me up for failure here, Jim. No, stop it. <laughs> Here's the thing. I mean, there's a massive podcast out there. You and I both know that. What's interesting, what makes everybody special isn't that, that we're famous or anything. It's that we're doing it, and then people that resonate with us will stick with us. I, I just right. started in a, a new band. It's not a new band. I, I just, I've got, I haven't done this in a long time, James. I got in a band. And um, they're a horn band, and they're awesome. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is they have a community. They have a community of fans that come out, and wherever we've gone, they've been sold out. I mean, the, the you know with the COVID restrictions, the, there's only so many limits that you can have, right? And uh, uh, so many people in these establishments. So they have to keep it safe. I'm safe. I got my mask, all that stuff. But what's neat is to see this community <laughs> of people that love the band. That's the secret sauce of any music. Right? And so yeah. I'm like, well, what do you know? And they've introduced to me, and I feel like, I feel like I'm being accepted into a community. And, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm honored, and, and I see that there's already a late relationship built. People ask, what's the product of a musician? And it's not the music. It's the community that you build and that feeling of inclusion. Yeah. People who are like you. Isn't that something? And, and for years, yeah. I really... I kind of miss that, and I especially miss that because uh, apart from my, and we're going to talk about this, my Army Band program experience, I freelanced, and I was in some bands on the side outside of the Army, and I experienced a little bit of it, but I never embraced it or leaned into it until I started just being kind of, uh, not kind of, I, I found myself at the end of my career with the Army and not moving anymore. And I started looking around and realized that this is my home. <laughs> this is this is my people. This is my community. And right. I'm not going anywhere. And uh, I started just setting down uh, emotional roots, you know, not just physical roots. Like I started investing in people and relationships. So, Are you talking about the army band people flock together or like they have their own community or? Well, there is that. I mean, I, I guess yeah. that to, to be specific, that was what I was a part of. And that was always a constant. No matter what band, what assignment I was in, we were all kind of linked together for those that have served together. And so Mm -hmm. there is this culture within the culture of whatever community you live in. And so uh, here I am now, I've been in Virginia Beach since 2000, January 2008. In the first few years, I wasn't laying down roots within the community of Virginia Beach. Mm -hmm. I kind of did, but wasn't really thinking about it that way. So to your point, there's I think is that there's the the program I was in that you build the relationships with, 
and then there is the, the place that you live that you build the relationships. Is it, am I making sense? I'm all of a sudden not realizing. No, I, I think it makes perfect sense. And now that I'm on the outside looking in, looking back at my time in the military, I can see, you know, a lot of people, they would reenlist, not, not necessarily because they were in love with the Army, especially as musicians, because oftentimes the musicians or the military or the musical mentality and the military mentality are often clashed. But I think people, they didn't do it out of fear of uh, losing a job or, or not, not getting another job, but I think they just didn't want to lose that community because it's, it's such a unique experience among musicians in the public at large. Yeah, that's a good point. On a small level, or maybe the same level, depends. I don't want to. I heard a, a, a general or somebody say years ago that your proximity to the fight does not determine your importance to it. And us as in the band fo- a program, a unique community of specialized jobs that there's tensions that will just naturally occur within the culture of the military, that in this case, the specific culture of the army. And so it's a subculture. The idea that um, the, uh, where I was going to go is the Band of Brothers uh, story. Uh, at the top of my head, the author of that book is escaping me. But they made the miniseries uh, of it. Ambrose. Ambrose. Ambrose, yeah. The book and the, the miniseries go hand in hand. They really did an amazing job unpacking that book. But the, the con- concept of what you're, we're talking about now is the community, this Band of Brothers is like the, as defined in this movie in the book. Um, there is something about spending time together doing something uniquely challenging and c- kind of having that understanding within each other, uh, in the back of each other's mind that I've been through this thing, you've been through this thing, we get each other. We've done something kind of unique and different that the typical American hasn't experienced. Uh, or the typical musician. <laughs> Forget about right. the, just the yeah. average American citizen. Uh, right. You and I both went through boot camp. Yeah. Here you true. are, trumpet player, mm-hmm. with, and you were young at the time. I was 18 years old. 18? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I was uh, one month removed from DCI finals in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's a culture in and to itself, the DCI it culture. Is. And it's intense. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think you can see, I, I've known a lot of people that have come from the Drum and Bugle Corps world uh, really fit in well with uh, the army expectations and the discipline and whatnot they've already lived that culture in fact they didn't get paid they paid to do it (laughs) right in a lot of cases um they they spent a lot of money to be a part of that and now they get paid to do it so that's kind of cool that's very cool really actually um but i guess what it's what's neat is that having been through boot camp and by the way i don't know if i share this with you but i've actually been through boot camp twice Ah, yeah, in a row. Okay, I don't want to ask. So I'll have to. I want to explain real quick. So I'm going through boot camp. Now I'm get. This is '88. September '88 is when I got in. We're at a very different time in American history as we are now, right? And so the mindset was the Russian threat, and you know we're in the peace of the '80s, and whatever opinion people have of the '80s. And I had family that had been in the military, and th- I'm going to get into this in a minute about what attracted me to the job, but. What was interesting about going through boot camp twice, so I'm going through boot camp, I'm really just going along with it. I, the movie uh, Full Metal Jacket had just come out that year or so, and 
You know, I was excited to go through boot camp because I knew for me, James, it was temporary. Like I was going to the band so I could play infantry man <laughs> for a couple of months and get into it. And I kind of laughed when the drill sergeants yelled at me. I mean, I was scared, but I was also like laughing because I'm like, this is just like the movies. All right. Waking me up in the middle of the night, all that stuff. Well, I got sick and um, I ended up with pneumonia. I thought I had, I didn't know what it was in those days. I think it's probably like this now. I was deathly afraid of going to sick call. I didn't want anything to, to hinder my training. I figured I could tough it out. I was 21 years old, pretty resilient health-wise, and uh, it got the best of me. And I, w- I went into full-blown pneumonia. And here I did was a 15-whatever-the-mile road bar- a rucks march was with the pneumonia. That night, I couldn't breathe anymore. And uh, there's a story there. But all that to say is, in the end, they recycled me, is what they call it. You know, and they said, you're, you're on light duty, you can't do the training. And it was like the last two weeks of training, the easiest part, really. Yeah, at the, at the time anyway. And so I recycled into a new group and this new drill sergeant decided he's going to treat me like a first day private to whip me into shape. I still don't understand why it went the way it went. Because everybody else that got recycled ended up being the assistant helper to a drill sergeant. I'll, be, I'll bet that the drill sergeant did that because he just wanted you to be one of the guys. He wanted you to be part of the community. If you were like this this special guy, the people that you're going through basic training with, they wouldn't they wouldn't respect you, because you're not in there in the trenches with them. You'd be that guy. Isn't that interesting? Now that you mentioned that, now that is a very emotionally grounded, mature perspective. And at the time, I was just angry, disappointed, and frustrated, <laughs> like a like a contemptuous kid. <laughs> like why? This isn't fair. <laughs> Which you were. You were only 21. Right, right, right. And I thought I was an, a full-on adult. <laughs> I was very naive. But all that, you know, I think it's worth sharing because, you know, these are these are the unique little things that can happen for a military musician that really test your metal. You know, I've, I've heard you use that word or that your steel. <laughs> uh, steel and steel. Yeah, steel and steel. I remember that podcast. I love that. And I think, too, also the, the concept of being interested or committed. And um, I'll just wrap up that part of it with this. I was tasked to go watch a bunch of duffel bags on the side of a road while I was in this holding pattern waiting to figure out what they were going to do with me. I still didn't know if I was going to get to stay in because of the pneumonia. There was a lot of barracks lawyers is what we call it when everyone seems to know something you don't know about legal <laughs> things. And they were like, well, you could actually get put out for this. I'm like... And I, you know, I thought about it, James. I'm sitting here. They put me in charge of watching these uh, duffel bags for a whole day, like a whole afternoon. Here I am by myself. Honestly, I think they just forgot me out there. But I had a, like a, a whole lot of time to think. I had nothing. You know, there's no cell phones in those days and whatnot. And it really came to me that, you know, I thought, you know, going back to Rhode Island would be was attractive. You know, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. What was I thinking? And then it started to hit me. I really don't have any other plans. Like my whole life schedule was wide open. I didn't want to go. I was going to go to Berkeley and I couldn't. I just like, there's no way I'm going to put the money in or go into debt for that at that time. I wasn't nearly good enough as a musician, I think, to to take advantage of the, the things that could have made that a really awesome experience for me. But it really made me think, James, like, do I really want to do this? And that's when I had a, a switch in my head go off like, yeah. I, I'm, I want this. I absolutely do want this. And um, and then when it all came around and I faced all those, in, <laughs> we'll say, uncomfortable situations being treated like a first day private after already having been through it, 
I had that to tap into. I see, you know, and see, these are the things that I don't know, these unique challenges. I don't know that it's unique, like a, a, a civilian musician couldn't experience these kinds of challenges because I've talked to some people recently and they've talked about their own dark experiences that have caused them to dig deep. But I guess going back to the point of community, we we get each other on a level without having to say it is where I guess where mm-hmm. I was going to go with all that. It's neat because now that I've been out of it for a while and I've, I look back and I, I really appreciate the cool things I got to do and the bonds that I made with musicians traveling yeah. around the world and playing in all kinds of local communities, working with local musicians for that area and um, the, the incredible experiences I had because of that. Because if I'd stayed in Rhode Island as a young uh, musician, I would have just been like to my friends, just Jimmy Lambie. And now he's playing bass. You you play trombone, right? You know, like just a kid amongst all these people I looked up to from your standpoint. But I, I just think that it's kind of neat to know that this exists. I don't think a lot of people know it exists. And it doesn't have to be a 22-year commitment. You, you were in for how long? A uh, total of 11 and a half years. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't – and you took it one thing at a time. And you didn't do that consecutively either, did you? Uh, the first one was four years, and then the second one was – seven and change i mean so there are people i know that have been in i got in for my three-year tour the first time i did two bands one in korea one in at fort sam houston san antonio texas then i got out and two years later i just happened to be able to get back in i was interested to get back in and uh why did you want to go back in I, I guess the bottom line is I really just wanted to do this on my own. and um, But I was in a very bad emotional place, so I had to do some emotional recovery from things that happened in my life at the time. So now I'm out, and I started getting back into – I had quit music for just a little bit because I was just kind of in a bad place. I get my bass out. I go to a jam session, and people are like, where have you been? I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, Man, we really like your playing. You, you like my playing? <laughs> wow! And then it woke me up. Like, wait, I'm a musician, of course. You know, like it's not. It's nice that people like your playing and say it, but really, if you're a good musician, they're gonna like your playing. That's. It's just kind of a point of fact. It's not a, a ego thing, right? And uh, it made me think. Oh wait, you know, this is really what I want to do all along. So I started doing the typical thing. I got in a band when I moved up to Rhode Island. I had the opportunity to audition for a group and got the gig. And they're still around, Brass Attack, wonderful band. And I just got into that band and I was just playing weddings and I guess some corporate things and festivals and whatnot. And then I was freelancing and then I was working as a waiter too, (laughs) you know, as my backup. And uh, like a wedding got canceled, by the way, I I would just like show up to my restaurant and say, who wants to go home? Because it was always a college kid that wanted to go home because they were being made to work or something. I'll go home. So I always had money coming in. But then I had a baby coming, James. And then life got real, right? All of a sudden I found out we're having a baby. I thought, wow. I'm looking ahead and I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at where I'm at in terms of opportunities as a bass player. And I really felt like I had a soul-searching time where I really just, I prayerful, soul-searching, just trying to figure it out. And then... I had just happened to get in some really good shape and I was really playing a lot. I was in shape musically. I was in shape physically. And I happened to run into a recruiter who was going to lunch at the restaurant I was working at, taking a recruit out for lunch. And I just happened to give him my card. Like, I said, you wouldn't be taking bass players back, would you? He goes, 
I don't know. Prior service, but ah, you know, I give him my card. He said, I'll give you a call if I hear anything, which, you know, pretty much 99% of the time that means, you know, goodbye. <laughs> right. But right. I got a phone call a couple of days later and he, he huh. just asked me, he says, listen, were you serious? I said, mm-hmm. yeah, I can be. He says, listen, okay, here's the thing you need to understand. As a recruiter, I get no credit for you going in as a prior service. So if you're not serious, don't waste my time. I'm like, oh, well, that's that's good. So I talked to my wife. and But anyway, so the, to, the point is for me to come back in, I just happen to fall in line with that, with those those requirements. My my, I was in shape, was clean, cr- criminal record. Um, I had a good record before I got out. Um, I was in shape musically because then I had to take another audition for a, a band, uh, uh, the band leader of the time, they call it Bandmaster, a warrant officer up in Massachusetts. So I went up there and auditioned for him and he was happy with my playing. And they hooked me up right away. They gave me three options. They were trying to hook me up with a place to go. And they came up with Fort Lewis and Seattle area or what's Tacoma, Washington. I went home and I told everybody I going back in the army and everyone was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went from this place of complete insecurity as a musician you know, where week to week a gig could be canceled for whatever reason. Students are fickle, they're in and out. There's occasional studio opportunities that I had. Uh, and I was young and, and not as tested and a known entity as some of the other musicians. So all of a sudden I got to skip to the head of the line in terms of income, benefits, opportunities. And, uh, and I got streamlined right back in and it happened so fast. And next thing you know it, I'm sitting in the hotel on the base there at Fort Lewis. We we made a, a vacation out of driving from Rhode Island to, to Washington. And what was funny is because, you, as you could probably imagine, as two years as a civilian, I didn't have, vacation time wasn't a thing. I was just trying to make money. I hadn't had a vacation two years. <laughs> made that a thing. And then I got there. I'm sitting there one night, and I, the smell, and this is an army smell. Maybe you remember the smell of pine oil. <laughs> Of course. Yeah, right? Like it's like they, the uh, infamous smell of clean in the mil- in the army. It's uh it's toxic for your lungs, but it sure smells clean. It makes everything smell clean, that's for sure. Well, I that a smell of that came through my hotel. I was on base. It was a like the what do you call it, the guest housing. It hit me, James, like what have I done? Like that smell. <laughs> right. Have I made a bit and anyway, uh, you know, that was in 93, and I retired in 2012, so it all worked out really well. You know, looking back on my time in the military, I can see three different types of people who joined the military and, like, thinking about their how their career progresses. Um, the first joins because they just don't have anything better to do. It's like, if they're a musician, they... they, they lose too many auditions and they're out of money and they they don't like working at the music store say okay uh high five uncle sam i'm your buddy now and they just they join the army or the navy and and then once they get in they they like it they find that camaraderie and they they kind of find something that was missing in them that they didn't that they didn't really know that they were looking for there's another class like 
they know if they're in college, of course, we're talking about musicians here, enlisted musicians. Most enlisted folks don't go to college before the army. I, I knew one gal, she, she was a freshman in college, and she said once, or maybe she was like getting a master's degree or something. Once I finish my master's degree, I'm going in the army. I know this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. And she was fired up about it. And then there's another class or category. They go in for whatever reason. They just don't quite fit in. They just don't, they just don't become part of the community. And when I look back at my time being out for five, six years now, that was definitely me. I never, I never went to any of the functions. I never socialized outside of even inside the band hall. I never really talked to anybody. I was just, I mean, I was there to play, to get paid and go home. And I'll do, and I'll do whatever the army asks me to do. And I'm not going to complain, but once I've done it, that's it. (laughs) Would you say that you were, it was it because you were an introvert or was it something else? Definitely didn't resonate with me because by the second time I went in, I was um, 31 years old, 30, I guess going on 32 years old. And I definitely, I wasn't 18 anymore. Uh, my brain had fully developed and I understood a little bit about how the world works, how foreign policy works. And I had some misgivings about the military's role in the world. And I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying this to downplay anybody. I'm not uh, to be a downer on what you're saying. Well, you have a unique story, James, and it's about personal conviction, and and it's a it's a wonderful story, and it takes anybody that's going to follow any conviction. It's going to take a certain amount of uh, courage and and commitment to be true to yourself. And so, to that point, I want to just say I I have utmost respect for your story. So I, I don't take it as a downplay. I think. It's a journey, a personal journey and experience to this program, and we have a bunch of these stories. I, I think looking back, I, I really did myself a disservice to stay in as long as I did. It's, it's one thing to do it for three years. My, my first enlistment in 2008 was for three years. And if I had just done that and you know done my time and you know hated every minute of it, I didn't hate every minute of it. I, I like playing. I like playing my instrument for a living. I'm not. Don't get me wrong, but if I had just done that and then left, you know, the world would have been better. But I just stayed in. I overstayed my welcome. Mm. That's a good. That's a good uh, perspective. It's what led me to retire. Was that very mindset of what you just said? Yeah. Uh, I just realized if I stayed in one more enlistment, one more assignment, it was what you're talking about. It was not going to be mutually benefiting anymore. Like they were going to get more out of me than I was willing to give. And, uh, and I wasn't going to get as much out of it because I had it's run its course with me and the new uniforms and new policies coming along and different things and promotion things changing. I'm just like, ah, it's not because the program is bad. It's just it, for me personally, it had run its course. And I was told by somebody very wise to me uh, years ago who said, you know, when it, I, and it's like, when do you know it's time to retire? And they said, you just know. It just hits you. And I think that's with a lot of things, isn't it? And, and when you ignore it, like I've been in gigs, James, where I was playing in a gig it was a freelance thing and I'm playing in Atlanta in this place and it was, it started off really fun and I really enjoyed it. And it got to the point where 
I was just doing it for the money. And I remember playing one night and just looking at my watch thinking, oh, I'm so tired. How, how much time do I got left? Oh, I'm in the middle of the first set. <laughs> oh, no, I have a whole night in front of me. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I need to quit this. This isn't good for anybody. Nobody's seeing my best at this point. I could be starting a bad reputation for not being a good, you know, for not having a good, you know, attitude. And well, the decision was made for me in the end because the band was going a different direction. And I was only the, you know, like the full-time sub, the, the regular bass player hardly ever played the gig. <laughs> and, uh, and in the end, I was like, that was a really interesting lesson learned. Don't stay in something when your heart isn't in anymore. It's not good for anybody. And especially for you or for me, it, that's in that moment, because we're doing damage to ourselves, but we're also doing damage to other people. I think we're not get they're not getting our best. They're not, and it and that builds resentment. Yeah, it's a toxic situation. Yeah, it's that's uh, and I think that's a, a that's a topic that can be superimposed <laughs> to any job, any situation. Right. So on that note, we're going to wrap things up. No, I'm just kidding. I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to go. I was like, wait a minute, James, we're not done yet. Um, well, you're the host. I, I'm thinking about what musicians are facing right now. And I, I've had an opportunity to talk and, and meet with some musicians who are very, very successful. They're just, you know, it's neat to talk to people like that, that I've only read about. You start to realize that everyone's just a regular person. Everyone's just a person. You know, we're all, we've all have our things. Or we're, we just want to have relationships and we're trying to do this thing we love and because we are at a higher level, at, it's not us, like whoever is at a higher level, doesn't, it doesn't make them like special. It makes them successful. I, I used to struggle with that kind of, um, and I hate to share this part because it's not pretty, but this kind of spirit of entitlement, like, yeah, look at me, I've done this thing. And, you know, somebody messed with me one time and I was, uh, you know, I thought, how dare this person mess with me? I, I, I hate to share this part, James, because this is like, this is part of my journey, though. And I was like, oh, what a dummy. <laughs> like, we're none of us are important and none of us are above anybody. It's just, it's about a sincerity and humility about this thing we get to do. And if you're going to choose to do it, just do it. You know, go in. And I've known, like you say, this the, the three different musicians. And I think I, I like that. I would expand the first one is I, I've known a lot of music teachers who have chosen that educational track because they thought that was a safe bet for musical employment and they thought they could do their gigs and teach. But teaching is a full-time commitment. If your heart is in it, your students are going to suffer. You can't treat it as a day job. You have to be thinking about it. Even as a private a teacher, I'm always thinking about my students it's a it's engrossing me because I'm thinking about where we're gonna go, how am I gonna make these assignments, usher them into that place they could be ready to do auditions for their all state things and excerpts and or contemporary stuff and and there's all these things that are on my mind. But if I was treating it like you pay me for the hour and I teach them, they're not getting my best and they're not getting what I think they they they're paying for. I've gone to teachers like that. And they just, you get them for the hour. It's not cheap. And they don't think about you another day, a minute, until after the next week. And then I've worked with a mentor, um, my longtime mentor, Jim Stinnett. And he, I knew he was thinking about me. I mean, that guy, he really modeled for me that mindset. So to the point of somebody joins the military, 
I mean, there was going the educational track before the military, and they thought they were going to do that as a day job. You just teaching is it's a very engrossing thing, and they find out very quickly that their heart isn't into it. They always just wanted to play, and that's what I see a lot. Former music teachers who, and by the way, you know, music teacher programs usually the redheaded stepchild of a school program compared to the football program. It's just beg, bar, and steal to get anything. And the expectations are huge. And the, 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 generally, I've noticed schools are very uh, slow to give any support financially or whatnot to make these expectations happen. And the people that I know that are super successful in the music education field, they are just all in. And they, they make a community, to what our point was earlier, where the students want to be a part of this thing. Uh, this community of people, and uh, and I've seen a number of people that were one of my former high school band teachers was like that. Uh, just just had a, he 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 had an infectious way about him. He's still got that. And another former uh, high school uh, classmate of mine, he was a couple of years ahead of me. He has an amazing uh, music education success because he has such a passion for his students and for thinking about them. But if you don't have that, and all you ever want to do is play, then the music education program is just depressing. And so uh, that's what we see in the military. We see a lot of these former music teachers coming in, and they're just relieved because they just, they just really just wanted to play all along anyway. I guess that's expanding, I think, your number one. Well, I think there, there's, there's a calling, and then there's a career. And oftentimes, the career is the means to fulfilling the calling. Can you expand on that? Well, I mean... You, you don't you don't get a, a sign from heaven to teach high school band. You feel a call to develop young minds to be better people, and you do that through teaching music. I think the people who are successful in that education they they might see uh, their their job as a calling, but I think the calling is is a service, and they fulfill that calling through their career because the the job is is very. It's tedious and it's very unrewarding, ungrateful, uh, you know, very unthankful. And but you know, at the end of the day, you have a job to do. You have a calling to fulfill, and this job, you, you're willing to put up with it so that you can do what you were put on the earth to do. Yeah, I think that's that's true in in um, on a lot of levels. If um, like I don't know, I I struggle, James, with for a long time with. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It seems like such a simple, like, be a bass player, you know? Uh, you know, and I often say, you know, sometimes I try to get away from being just a knuckle-dragging bass player and try to think about other things, you know, uh, you know, music-wise or business-wise. And I had to come to terms with the fact that this is truly what I feel called to do. And I'm just going to be all in with it. And see where it goes, and it led to opportunities. And, and and again, it came down to the fact that in the military there was all these opportunities to audition for other experiences, and so within the community itself there are other opportunities. You know how in the band program is this culture, also of people who are now they're in, they kind of been there, done that with music. They keep their their chops up to a certain level. But then they're focusing on the other things, like they're getting good at the administrative ends or the supply or operational, and they, that resonates with them. 
I've known some really high level musicians who just kind of get tired of the grind of practicing all the time. And they, they were good, you know, they were amazing musicians uh, in their own, but they had lost interest in that and uh, that total focus. And they were getting into getting promoted, becoming higher level enlisted or officer. And then you had those like us that were just, I, I'm in it to play. <laughs> and I'll do the other things, but I really just want to play. And I was, I wanted to practice all the time. And then there was this other, other fringe <laughs> of people that kind of fit in the middle where they were just kind of sliding along, <laughs> taking a paycheck. Uh, and, and I think that's with any job. I'm not, that's not just army, Navy, Marines, Air Force. I remember, um, I, I guess we have to explain some of these terms, but there's a course called WLC warrior leader course or something like that. And <laughs> This person, she was like my sponsor or something. I I don't know what she was, but she just said, okay, all you have to do is go through this course, get your E6, and then you don't have to do anything. Wow. Talk about misleading you. <laughs> she said, all you have to do is just be quiet and write it out. Wow. And I just thought that is... Um, That's bad advice. She was not the most ambitious person. Oh, my gosh. Know. Yeah, but you find that, though, uh, that worked for her. <laughs> I've known people like, hey, man, just keep your head down. You know, people yeah. leave you alone. And I thought, yeah. hey, that's no way to live, man. That's the way they choose to live. And right. It's not for everybody. Like, I want to live. I want to enjoy life. And I guess the, the thing with all this we're talking about is it was... Um, I, I am very respectfully aware of the choices I've made. Like I, for instance, I have come to terms with this thing. I love playing jazz. I love to play it. I play it. I work on it. I play in jazz groups all the time. I've, I've gotten to play some amazing jazz venues, work with some great jazz musicians. But James, I wouldn't consider myself a jazz bassist. I, I know what a jazz bassist does. I know what their, their resume looks like and, or their, their skill set is. And mine is, does not fall in that. It falls partially in that. I'm also into playing, uh, you know, contemporary music. I, I I do all kinds of other contemporary things. I also play classical. I, I play the upright jazz and classical. I play, um, and so what I realized is, oh, all that comes down to I'm a commercial player. I play all kinds of stuff, yeah. and I love that. Like I've come to like I always imagined at one time when I was younger. I always hoped. You know, I was a big fan of John Petitucci in the late 80s. I was a young player, and I discovered, you know, the bass nerds that may or may not listen to this would understand that there's these people you resonate towards, and you hope you're going to be like them someday and have all their endorsement deals and all that stuff. And But I, okay, so here's what got me into the Army. This is the big, this is the big thing that pushed me, like, made this a good idea for me. My, my model for music business success was I saw people raising their families as musicians as a trade. My grandfather wanted to do that, but he ended up there's a long story in his his being an immigrant from Scotland and he ended up he always loved music and he led bands and music was always in the house and I had a wonderful experience being influenced by that. But it was a, more of a hobby for him. And and later in his in retirement years he would go around to all the and he was blind too, by the way. He'd an assistant, and I would go with him. That was my first professional gig. But it was just to see a community of musicians who were actually doing this to raise a family. My first teacher, Bob Petteruti, amazing bassist, uh, very uh, renowned in the area he was. He's been indoctrinated in the Jazz Hall of Fame, but raised his family as a musician. See, he wasn't chasing after fame 
and all that. He was in his local community. He became part of a network of highly successful musicians who were famous or known in their area uh, for their expertise. But they were very, most of them seemed very content with the idea that they were raising children. They were putting, you know, as the old saying goes, putting food on the table, roof over the head, able to get their kids to a doctor when needed. All these wonderful things of, uh, of, uh, of, of providing, but through something they love to do. And so for me, I was like, I, I would hang out at my, the music store where my, I was taking my lessons. Bob Pedrudy and his son, Tom, um, had been running this store for years. And on Saturday afternoons, all the musicians would be hanging around doing their gossip. <laughs> like these type of musicians. I was so intimidated by him, James. Like, I'm, like, I'm young and they're older and they're gray-haired and they're like, they're kind of cynical and they have a sharp wit. And I was very sensitive and insecure. <laughs> But I was watching them, and I thought, yeah, see, they're making a living, and I'd hear about these people. And when the Army Band program came along for me, it just fit in with what I was hoping to do. I wanted to be able to be a musician and then and have a life that was, you know, more, like, grounded in terms of taking care of myself and my family. You know, I don't know that's just a very common thought process for people that are, uh, are in the music business. All right, everybody, you've been listening to uh, musicpreneur.com with the Green as Grass host, Jim Lambie. <laughs> and uh, I'm James Newcomb, his, uh, his victim for his first, I guess this is your first official interview, not with, with me not being a co-host, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, this is it. We're, we're right. breaking ground here. We're breaking ground. Well, I mean, you, did, you really did a fabulous job. You're, my hat is off to you, and, and I think you're off to a great start, so... Head on over to musicpreneur.com, and I guess Jim will be in your earball soon. Yeah. Thanks, James. Visit musicpreneur.com for more podcasts and access to the exclusive Musicpreneur mobile app that contains content not available anywhere else on the web. That's musicpreneur.com. Thanks for listening.